your challenges just shift in many ways become more difficult because you're doing stuff that you've never done before for me it's been about being passionate about i literally have a mouse mouse that says i love mondays uh, my favorite day of the week i'm super passionate about what we do and the people we work with and i think that's allowed me to to move the needle the most hey everyone welcome back to the SaaS revolution show brought to you by sastock the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction growth and scale I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. All right, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, CEO, founder of SaaStock. Delighted to be joined today by Jamie Akhtar, who is the, the CEO uh, and co-founder of CyberSmart. Uh, welcome, Jamie, uh, to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, Alex. Yeah, good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. I understand you are only uh, just back from Finland and Lapland. How was that? Why were you there? You went to see the reindeers, Northern Lights. Uh, uh, what, 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 what's uh, cooking? I was, I was actually there myself a, a couple of days ago, so maybe we were there for similar reasons. We were both. We we're obviously both there in um, for Slush, which is, I think they they brand it as the largest gathering of venture capital and startups in Europe. Um, but it is a it is a fantastic place to network, to see what's going on in the space. So I did that. I actually landed on my birthday. And my wife insisted that she comes and visits me uh, and that I can't spend my birthday alone. I always said, I've got nothing, nothing more I'd rather than go to a tech conference for my birthday. Um, so she had a lot of plans. She came out and uh, she booked a trip to the north of Finland. So you fly about two hours north to um, the middle of nowhere. It's actually, actually in the Arctic Circle. It was incredible. We spent few days on riding reindeer, huskies, uh, snowmobiles. We saw the Northern Lights, which is a big deal. Uh, it's quite difficult, actually. They're only there for a few minutes. I didn't see any Northern Lights. I only, only saw the uh, the darkness, but down south in Helsinki, it's, it's not there. Having said that, I did go to Lapland in February with kids. Um, and unfortunately, just the, the, the weather wasn't good enough. And uh, unless you kind of really chase the Northern Lights and like, you, you know, drive around for eight hours and stuff like that. And um, I think that was just not uh, not possible. But uh, it's definitely still on the bucket list, despite having gone to uh, uh, to, to Lapland. And uh, But hopefully we'll, we'll return. And so, uh, yeah, lo- lo- lots of fun. On there the only thing like on the husky rides um it didn't really kind of warn that they the huskies uh kind of like you know do their toilet business whilst they're running and sometimes it can get a little bit smelly when you're on the uh on the sled i'm not sure if you had the same experience well it's it's not just that they they are like built to run so you yeah. get on there and it's kind of like being on a, a motorbike which has its throttle on like full speed continuously so you actually have a foot brake and you have to stand on it with your body mm. weight to slow them down yeah, um, I've never quite experienced anything like it because they, they go really fast and they just yeah, yeah, yeah. they just want to go. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend that to anyone. Um, yeah. High adrenaline activity, actually. It's a, it is lots of lots of fun. So tell us, we know you're the founder. You know, Cyber Smart. Uh, you like tech conferences on your birthday and mini retreats, uh, but what else? And adrenaline uh, uh, as well. But what else? Uh, who is Jamie Actor? Um, so I've spent the last 15 years working in technology and cyber, so building or breaking stuff. Deeply passionate about technology, the impact it can bring to the world um, in many, many different aspects uh, as well. And you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of talk about generative AI and what that can do to the world. And obviously before that, there was technology itself and the internet and, and all that um, value that it's brought. Um, so I've been 
been obsessed with this field for quite a long time and that's really kind of shaped my worldview and my my place in the world really which is um and it's as cheesy as it sounds i do really feel like a, i'd like to make an impact and a difference and a positive um put a positive impact into the world uh when i leave this place um so i think that shaped a lot of my 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 view uh probably fun fact i guess is i've never never been employed by anyone else's company so always started my own my own businesses i think that again shapes my my worldview quite a lot um ultimately it means that i'm i'm now really focused on stuff that i'm i, I care about deeply working with people i really like in order to make that difference doesn't make that journey or that challenge any easier it simply makes it um more enjoyable along the way how, how many businesses did you found before cybersmart when did when did you start your first business what was it and how many and i guess you can call them ventures probably instead of businesses um i remember being back in school actually uh and seeing this you know advent of the floppy disk and sorry advent of the usb and the fact that it would replace floppy so i remember printing out this poster uh that had like a hundred floppy disks stacked on top of each other and uh, a usb drive next to it and with the with strap line which would you rather carry around um so that was one of my, one of my first ventures um but i guess there's, there's a lot of bits here and there um along the way from a digital agency and through software development digital marketing um set up a business with uh, two different partners one in the us one in um in hong kong um so that was quite interesting but i'd say probably the first first half of my career really was about helping to make other people's dreams come true really i mean and that's that's probably a bit of a grandiose uh, explanation but it's essentially building stuff for for other people and that does have an impact to them but it really was never focused on uh what can i build what can i create in the world and it took quite a while for me to figure out um what that was um which kind of it, it is the founding story really for cyber smart yeah Okay, so so from building and help, you know, making other people's dreams come true, to deciding that you want to build for yourself, um, and deciding on on CyberSmart, why particularly Cyber? Like, first of all, like what what is CyberSmart? What does it do? And then why you you know why did you decide to do it? Why are you the best person to build this business? CyberSmart is. Um Essentially, our mission is to protect and empower SMEs. We build technology that helps small businesses to understand and manage their cyber risk. Um, we believe it's it's the only way really for, for small business cybersecurity going forward. Um, I won't bore you with, with kind of all the uh, kind of macro and the problem space. I'm sure everyone's broadly aware of cyber risk. The challenge for most small businesses, they just don't have the time, resources, expertise in order to deal with it. Yet they still need to deal with it. And we just saw uh, back then, uh, seven years ago, as we see today, most of the alternatives and substitutes are not suitable for that segment of the market. Um, so I think we're, we, we're uniquely placed to solve that because that's uh, all we do. All we think about is how we solve for that product problem, um, as well as the go-to-market problem and the unit economics. So by cracking those two aspects, it allows us to solve it better than 
anyone else who's focusing on cybersecurity. It's far easier to serve the mid-market or the enterprise than it is to serve the small business, but we think there's a, a massive prize if you can crack that part of the market. I can't remember if you said like when the company was founded. So how long have you been uh, running it? And what data can you share about the company? You know, where are you now? How many people, you know, have you raised, are you bootstrapped, venture-backed? Uh, given maybe that you're slush, uh, uh, sort of guessing that you're, you're venture-backed. And just tell us a little, you know, paint a little picture about uh, where the business is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so we we uh, we come up to seven years old. That's like a dinosaur in in startup uh, yeah. terms. Is it still a startup at seven? It is. It is really. Uh, it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's that whole definition uh, of, of what you are. Um, I think I, I think for us, it's the, the the key is we've we've nowhere near accomplished what we set out to achieve. One uh, percent of one percent. I guess mm-hmm. uh, a lot of founders would say that. I think when you're trying to do something that's really impactful, it's always going to be the case. Um, so yeah, coming up to seven years old, we've raised uh, quite a lot of funding rounds in, in total, including bridge rounds and all the things in between, angel one, angel two, uh, about well, over 10 funding rounds, about 20 million pounds. Closed our Series B earlier on this year. We've got um, about 60 investors on our cap table. Uh, about five of those are institutional investors. So, and surprisingly, don't spend a huge amount of time on investor relations. I can give you a secret secret to that later on. Uh, I can give it to you now. Give it to me now. Like so, that it's a lot of investors on the on the cap table. So, my questions are uh, like, yeah, how how do you manage that? Because uh, I imagine, well, you're saying it's easy. So, what, what's the secret? And, and then, I, I guess I don't know if you're happy to share, but if you've done ten rounds, sixty investors, you, you know, how has that left you kind of in terms of you, you know ownership and uh, you know control of, of of the business, you know, like voting rights, etc., that sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, first question. So, uh, so yeah, regular, consistent updates. Uh, when you say about, regular, is that monthly? Every single month. Yeah. yeah. I think. I mean, you could probably do them every two months if you wanted. I think monthly is a good, a good uh, habit, a good routine to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, every single month, you know, basic up or high level updates across the business, product, go to market, financials, people, uh, has evolved over time. Been doing that for probably. 50 plus months uh, without missing a beat, even when I had COVID. Um, really, really important. I think it's also a good discipline. Uh, the thing that's kept it going is, well, two, twofold. One, it provides that communication layer to all of our um, shareholders. And I think that's really important. It saves you a huge amount of time in answering ad hoc questions, mm-hmm. uh, repeating yourself on what is our strategy, what's our plan, what's our focus, where are we struggling? So it saves you time there. It also means that they can lean in and provide you support. In the earlier days, this was hugely helpful and beneficial. I also find it very useful for myself and and the team. Just to look back, even on a month period, you'll be surprised at just how much things move. Uh, And I replay the same update to the team the following Monday. So that creates transparency. It creates uh, a unified view of what we're trying to do and what we're saying um, to our investors and keeps everyone on the same page. I'd say that's... That's probably been the, the secret weapon. Um, it's not that difficult. If you've got somewhere we can share them, I'm happy to share a, a template. Or mm-hmm. yeah, that'd be great. We, we can share a link to that. Um, and and then in terms of like, ha- has there been then a lot of dilution for you, for yourself? And how how's that sort of like impacted in any way, uh, positively or, or or negatively? Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's inevitable. I still have a, a I guess a meaningful 
uh, a meaningful share, in my opinion, and ultimately comes down to if that pie is growing bigger, mm-hmm. right? And um, versus how much of it you have. Um, I think you, the the other part of that is is control, and I think when you're when you're at this stage, A B, um, I think the investors very much lean on the management team to to steer the direction of the company to to kind of think through some of the challenging parts of its strategy or resourcing, performance, all those kind of aspects really are are reliant on the management team too. Mm-hmm. So I think our, we've got a super supportive uh, investment board. We're also very picky in our investors. Um, and I think that's really important for a founder is find people that you really do want to work with that you think will value the business. Mm-hmm. And so, some at a later stage, actually, you might someone who's is actually going to help you more with the kind of directional and the strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it's always been about finding people that believe in what we believe uh, and will support us and basically make sure we don't run headfirst off a cliff versus get involved in the business and run it for us. Um, so yeah, we've got we've got fantastic investors. Um, really happy to have them behind us. And um, can you share? Um, uh, so you raised twenty million, and can you share like in terms of like how many people and what your ARR is? Uh, and also, I know um, uh, only because you, you've you've typed it in the notes. But actually, I think it was mentioned at the SFM retreat that you've got a, a pretty good uh, uh, net retention revenue. Um, so. Uh, yeah, let's, yes. Uh, let's talk about that one at, at the end and, and why it's so good. Yeah, so we're uh, we're just approaching five million ARR. Uh, we passed it in dollars, um, mm-hmm. approaching in pounds. Congrats. Um, probably there in euros. Uh, depends what the conversion rate is. Um, we're about sixty-five people, uh, broad, broadly split. Um, about third on our go-to-market. So essentially, uh, primarily sell, serving the channel partners we work with. So we work with about eight hundred channel partners. Um, they are MSPs and resellers, really interesting aspect of, of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a third of that is building, or about 40% is building our product. So mm-hmm. essentially um, making our, our tech work and our bringing value to our customers. That's um, that's a really important part of what we do because we are a, a product-led in terms of our approach, our philosophy, and uh, the value we bring and then rest of it is support, support supporting infrastructure essentially realizing the value of our revenue making sure we've got the operations uh, in place which i'm happy to come come back to i think that's probably one of the um the, the big big aspects of uh how you succeed mm-hmm. and and your your nrr so 120 percent um uh, which is very solid how like how are you doing especially like with SMEs right I think uh, uh, it, that that's probably like quite difficult to achieve I, w- I would imagine yeah it, w- it was 160 last year so it's taken okay. a hit <laughs> uh, and we actually expect it to go back up um, big aspect of that is we, we sell um, through the channel um, which isn't by any means an easy thing yeah. to do or set up it's not just switch yeah. on and go you have to invest a lot of time yeah. To get it right, uh, and I still say we've got a lot, long way to go to really perfecting that. That's a big aspect of it because if you improve the value to a partner, they they can truly open doors for you and deliver value year over year consistently. Um, so that's a big as- aspect of that. Gross revenue retention is over ninety percent as well. I think really understanding the market and the people you're building for, um, and focusing on those is is what leads to to great unit economics. 
Why did you decide to sell through through the channel? Because like, it, I think it's sort of rare, becoming a little bit more popular, uh, I think quite difficult to do in some instances. So how did you decide that's going to be your, your go-to-market model? Uh, for us, it's testing experimentation over many years. Uh, we actually ran a dual go-to-market approach. Uh, and then as, as we started to grow the company and scale, we realized that there were some inherent limitations in the direct Data economics were nowhere near as good, so we decided to pivot all our focus, resource, effort onto onto channel. That was a strategic uh, shift that we learned from following the data. Okay, okay, um, and um, yeah, like obviously you're at sixty five people, and uh, I, I know that you did a kind of like behind the uh, behind the curtain or behind closed doors kind of session with the the SAS founder members of which you, you, you're a uh, SFM member um, uh, where you talked a little bit about the various stages of, of building a company but um, you're uh, given that we, that was you, you know just sort of like members only um, uh, and there obviously were you, you know uh, Chatham house rules within that um, you have uh, uh, which I'm happy to say um, you, you know said that you, you're happy to kind of like share some of this you, you know kind of publicly um, and your thoughts around uh, the various stages of, of building a company. So, tell us what are the stages? If you're at 65 people and at five uh, five million ARR, you know how many stages, uh, how many like different cyber smarts have there been? Uh, <laughs> probably seven, I guess. It does feel like <laughs> One a each year. completely different company year year on year. And part of that is you we got different people. Part of it is yeah. like you you learn and you adapt and you grow. Um, I think the, there's one thing I, I read. Um, in a book, which um, I'll come back to in, in a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But it's it was about kind of how communication hierarchy works as you grow. And I mean, a lot of founders experience this. You've got 10 people, you're in working in the same office. Like everybody knows everything about what's going on at the company. You all know what customers are coming on, where the products are, what challenges you've got, you know, where the fundraising, at, uh, everyone is on the same page all of the time. As you start to grow um, past Past ten, maybe maybe twenty, if you've got some really good good stuff in place, that you start to lose that closeness and kind of proximity to information, either as a as a founder or leader of the business or um, as an employee, and therefore it starts to become a little bit more fragmented, and you kind of need to rebuild uh, communications hierarchy again at that point, which is like, okay, how do we communicate stuff? Not everybody needs to know everything. Not everybody needs to be in all the same meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, if doing this remote is even harder. Um, by the way, like we still, I think every single company in the world struggles with communication. Are you um, fully remote? Uh, we're, we're remote first, so 95% first. Okay. plus. We, there's still massive value in having physical connection. Yeah. Um, so we encourage that. Um, we, we meet as a team, uh, like my immediate team every, every week. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm still regularly in touch. But by default, we let people get on um, with their roles. Yep. If they need to, they can come together physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other stage I'd say is once you get past about 50 people, um, then we've had to rebuild that all again, because then you start to think about, um, the middle, middle layer. And I guess now if we at first we were like, yeah, we just have a super flat hierarchy. It doesn't really, we just want everyone to be able to contribute to our mission and what we're doing. And if anyone has an issue, they just raise it, raise it directly. Then those kind of. Uh, things start to like cracks start to break. Um, mm-hmm. Like you can't just have someone heard something on the phone with a customer and they go and tell the product 
product and engineering team to go change the spec, right? It just starts to melt pretty quickly. Um, so you have to have systems and processes for getting feedback, for like deciding on where to focus, on uh, deciding how reporting should work. We're even, we did a piece recently on how do we think about strategic planning at CyberSmart? Because um, strategic planning for a Fortune 500 is very different to a, you know, six-month-old company with five people. Um, both both are equally important. Just the level of detail and the things you can consider and the amount of risks in, in the plan is going to be very different. So we, we basically create our own framework on how this is what we expect when we say strategic planning. So tell me, uh, your, your senior leadership team, um, so how many people reporting to you uh, at the moment? At the moment, um, that's a good question, four. Four, um, okay, that's yeah. a good number. Um, and then how many of those four were with the company at the beginning or in the first 10 employees, uh, any of them? None of them, no. None of them. Uh, uh, yeah. When, yeah, when, did, when did you hire them? When did you bring them in? Uh, our, the person I worked closest with, our CFO, and we went for a big leadership change in Q3, um, essentially just putting in place the, the skills we need for our uh, for our Series C and beyond, which is, I mean, we we already talked about the complete shift in our go-to-market. Yeah. Um, so bringing in someone um, who really has that, that channel experience, that's actually a hire we're currently, currently filling at the minute. Um, so it will go up. The, re- the reports that is mm. and uh, essentially it's kind of looking at uh, and part, part of it is like building between milestones like building uh the team the systems the processes the go to market um and I, someone told me i can't remember who told it, i wish i could attribute it um it was essentially thinking about wh- what do we need to do and where do we need to get and then think about how do we need to get there um mm-hmm. and that that can lead to some uh, very very difficult people decisions um, mm-hmm. in order to to build that company, but ultimately you need to always come back to like why are we here, what are we doing this for, what's the purpose of our company, where do we want to get to, um, and, and and kind of start from the end and work backwards, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They they do say that. Similarly, we're going through a similar process, and it's like you know the three year sort of plan for us for the next three years, and it's starting. Where do we want to be in three years' time, right? And then working your way backwards to how do we get there to then looking at you, you know what does next year look like? Because uh, obviously, then that will feed into the three year plan. Um, and and then w- uh, with that, so if you're you're starting with like the, the goal in, in mind or you're at 5 million and you, you have your whatever the next big milestone might be. It could be, you know, 10 or 20. Are you then uh, looking at hiring people? Like, is it a prerequisite that people have uh, have done that? Um, like where you're going uh, in, in terms of what, what you what you need? Um, like it, when you're looking, I mean, you talked to, you know, quite a bit there about sort of like mission and purpose and like I think uh, having obviously like mission-driven people, talented people you know all, all these things that you, you know are, are very important but like when you when you're at five and you want to get to 20 are it, and you're hiring somebody for i don't know it's like the, the cro position if they've done it before is is that what you're is one of the first things that you're kind of looking for or a requirement or do you think about things differently yeah i think i think at our stage like series b that's that's far more relevant and important yeah you really need um people coming in to hit the ground running so having the expertise having the 
kind of pattern recognition on what not to do. Because if you waste a quarter or two, that can be very, very expensive. It mm-hmm. eats into your runway. It eats into your plan. It can lead to, you know, all kinds of um, all kinds of challenges. Mm-hmm. I think pretty much at this stage, you're looking at people that have got the done there, been there, done that experience. I'd say earlier stage, there's a far greater bias towards uh, capability and um, an attitude. Um, you can pretty much get anyone, and there's, there's probably thousands of founder stories where, you know, started a company with someone they knew who was a, a nice person, right? And But they, they both believed in the same thing could happen and therefore great things did happen. Um, and then great determination, ability to learn quickly, uh, the ability to execute on the plan and adapt when needed is far, far greater. That's going to determine your success versus like, oh yeah, I ran a similar company for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, no, agree. And what about in terms of like you've got then these great people on board or people that you hope will, uh, are going to be great. How do you think about performance and, you, you know, setting goals, hitting goals, you know, getting the team to perform day in, week, you know, week, weekly, monthly, etc. cetera? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I can talk a bit about um, what we've done today and a little bit about mm-hmm. what we're planning to do um, because there is a, a – gear shift effectively we've just brought in a vp of people who's reviewing this whole area in terms of aligning individual expectations and goals to what the company's trying to achieve and i think that's a far more sophisticated approach um what we've what we've learned from in the past is clarity and expectations about what people should and should do you can't you can't over communicate this it's here's what we're trying to do as a company this year here's what we're trying to do this quarter this month this week uh, and here's what we should do today, like getting it all the way down to that detail and making sure everyone's really clear on how they how they contribute towards that, I think is is super important. Uh, and that's been pretty much our, our ethos today is hire good people, give them the tools they need, support them, and then let them get on with their roles. Now, that's a bit of a balancing act because if you just let people get on and you check in once a month, then... Uh, that might not be enough, but making sure that they're they're fully equipped to succeed, I think is is really really important. Like we, we talked a little bit about it um, when we talked about remote first, is that requires a completely different level of trust with with your team um, and engagement, and you need a lot of different mechanisms in order to um, to influence that. But ultimately, it comes down to looking at what people are delivering versus what they're doing, mm-hmm. um, and we, you know. We've got presenteeism, et cetera. We've got a lot of companies that are uh, considering hybrid or return to office. Mm-hmm. In those cases, I think you know it, it, may, it may make some sense. I'm still I'm still a bit perplexed around that. So maybe maybe you've got another podcast I can listen to that helps to. So- uh, so on, present, on, on presenteeism in terms of like uh, some tools saying like are, are you online or you, you know are you doing eight hours a, a day is that sort of thing no more more yeah. in relation to the return to work i just really don't understand right, um, what's sorry, going oh, through those those yeah. leaders uh, heads or what what data they're looking at that i'm not seeing that indicates that that's a good thing because everything i hear see observe mm. is counter to that um, the only the only explanation, I guess, rational explanation is either they don't they don't trust their team or or they don't have the tools and mechanisms to actually measure output. Yeah. Or ultimately, it is is less effective. I think yeah. we've managed to, to strike a good balance. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's interesting, and like I mean, like ourselves, we're still we're we're remote first. We go in one day a week, but it's kind of like not mandatory. So those that kind of want to go in and see the colleagues do, um, and we do find you, you know that day it, it's great. It's really useful. Like we're connecting. It, it's really it it does really help. I think you know with culture, um, you know, and a little bit I think around like motivation as well. You do you do generally feel a little bit more buoyant in in, in some ways and. And for me, it breaks up the week. I love working from home. Like personally, I'm I get I have my routine. Uh, I actually probably do more work and can do more deep work than you know when I'm in the office. So I I love that. And and I I'm, I I think there there are perhaps that uh, a bunch of founders that um, maybe that I don't know less sort of trusting around our people doing work. And I think there's that that psychological element of it. So probably those that are less trusting um, and uh, you, you know, have probably made that move to to go back into the office, but probably not in all cases. So I think you, you know, certainly in some industries, and, and I know like banking, they've all said like you know, you've got to come back in and uh, and so on. And perhaps others are just kind of following the trend. And in many cases as well, I know a lot, uh, as you might know as well, have spent a lot on offices and you know long term leases and contracts, and they want to get their money's worth, right? Um, and they don't want to see it vacant. Um, uh, so I, I think there's this, this whole combination. And I think I'm, I'm not sure, like, you, you know, anyone's really tried, like, f- uh, figured it out. But uh, I think it is it is nice. And the, the viewpoints are like, yeah. okay, let's trust people like adults, right? And if you're doing the work, if you're getting the results, then then that's fine. If we're not getting the results, maybe things need to change, you know? Um, and like for, for us also, We've been running a, a four-day work week for a few years now um, since, since COVID, but we only do it for six months a year. Um, and uh, we have grown uh, this year, um, but, you know, we also set ambitious targets and the market's slightly different. And so often like our OKRs in terms of where we end up ha- hasn't been uh, quite where we want it to be. Um, so we are considering or something we will consider is actually, you know, is a four-day work week really working for us and you know if we're going to bring back that you know extra day are we going to be more productive and be better at you you know hitting our targets so things like that so i think it's worth like trying things and seeing how it goes everyone loves their their friday off right um but uh you you know if you're not hitting targets it's one of these things that you've got to review yeah definitely open a can of worms there alex yeah yeah it's Um, probably an entire podcast maybe we should it is it is i mean well look there's entire podcasts about the 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 channel selling to the channel that i I want to do and uh more podcasts on this return to work right Uh, uh for sure but um but we don't have uh, time to do several podcasts, and so certainly not today. And, and I'm conscious of time, so I want to move into the quick fire round, Jamie. So, uh, tell oh, one, me, last, one last yeah, point on. on that is, I guess the in all cases, whether it's a four day work week or remote first in office, it's yeah. about measuring outputs versus inputs. And yeah. I think that's the fundamental shift. It's even less about trust than it is being able to measure the impact that your team's having in their work and then it doesn't really matter where they work when they work um how they work as, as as a ceo as a founder of the business then so if you've got a sales guy or girl um that is hitting their numbers uh but you feel that maybe they're like 
working like 50 percent capacity but just still hitting their numbers do you care or would you say well look if they're working 100 percent of your capacity you would be <laughs> getting 150 percent or 200 percent right so what, what is your thoughts around that because if you're, if you're looking at measuring the output is 100 percent uh but then you're like well do i care what they're doing or what time they start work and how many hours a day that they work like what, what's your viewpoint in that scenario um i i, I mean it's it's a, a funny uh, hypothetical situation. The more likely yeah. one actually is someone's working a hundred, maybe one hundred and twenty percent, and they're yeah. not. They're not delivering, yeah. and then it's kind of like, why is that? Um, however, I think well, in the first case, I think yeah, that's fine as long as that expectation is agreed and aligned. Um, and I would focus more on employee engagement in that situation. Yeah. It's like let's make sure people are engaged, and actually, it's not about hitting the target or hitting the quota. It's actually about like moving moving the company forward in a way that makes sense for them and their progression. I think there's a way you can essentially round out their role uh, and maybe spend the other 50% time being a better salesperson so they can grow. Um, in, the, in the other scenario where, uh, where actually, you, as far as you know, everyone, the individual's doing as much as they possibly can or the team, and yet they're not hitting the target, that's a far harder one to, to manage and support. And I think in that, that's where you need the mechanisms to really understand like, well, what, what, uh, what assumptions are we making here? Do people have everything they need? Maybe let's do a reset. Let's revisit our plan. Um, so yeah, those are all all good questions. Another podcast, another podcast. Yeah. There. Um, all right, let, let's get into this quick five round then. So uh, tell me, uh, Jamie, what one thing has moved the needle the most for you in your career? Um, I'd say finding something you are deeply passionate about. Um, the reason being, Founding a company is a, is a decade-long pursuit. We started CyberSmart. It's like, it's great. You know, we'll hit our goals in year one of a million customers by year two. Uh, we'll exit by year three. The reality is it obviously takes far longer and it's far more effort than you could ever imagine. Um, and it also gets harder. Um, one of the things, it's kind of this, this myth we tell ourselves. It's like, oh, yeah, we just do this. We just hire this person or we just raise this money and then everything's going to become easier, right? Like, I'm not going to have to do all that. But actually, your challenges just shift. Um and they, they in many ways become more difficult because you're doing stuff that you've never done before. Um, so ultimately, it, for me, it's been about being passionate about, I, I literally have a mouse mat that says I love Mondays, uh, my favorite day of the week. I'm super passionate about what we do and the people we work with. And I think that's allowed me to to move the needle the most. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And similar, I, I mean, I wonder if I, I would hope it's, it's the same for, for many founders uh, that they're obviously doing what they're doing because they love what they're doing. And uh, likewise, uh, I mean, I would say for the majority of the time and be running SaaS.com for, for eight years, um, I never have that, you know, fear or anxiety on a Sunday about, you know, going back into work on a Monday. I look forward to seeing my colleagues and the, what, you know, the week that's ahead and the things that we can achieve. So um, maybe I need to get myself a mouse mat uh, uh, as well. Um, but uh, no, the, what about, the, the mouse mat's a manifestation versus a, yeah. it's not like you get it and then you start to love Mondays. It doesn't I know, work. I, 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 I love Mondays. So maybe I need a, a mouse mat that, which says I love Mondays because it, oh, yeah, it's true. true. I, don't, I don't need to manifest it. Uh, maybe, I, or I need to get something that manifests like I want to move to Ibiza so maybe I need to get a mouse mat with like I love Ibiza on it or something like that um I must work harder uh what is the best advice you have received um received? I remember probably the, the the one I remember the most is what Reshma from Seacamp said to me uh seven years ago which was uh, a founder only has two jobs to raise money and hire good people 
Um, now, what, what I take from that, actually, because I actually think a founder has many more jobs than that. You've yep. got to set the vision. You obviously need to do all that work before you hire those people or you raise any of that money. So it's far broader and it also evolves over time. But I've, the big takeaway there is actually, as a founder, it's really important to constantly ask, like, where should I be focusing my time and energy? Um, and what even I'm doing this right now is I'm going through my job description and I'm like, okay, is that my, my responsibility or is that CFO or is that CCO or is that, you know, VP of people? Because traditionally, you know, I've done a lot. So it's taking off those those hats really to focus on the stuff you can, only you can do uniquely. Um, so yeah, take, take that with a pinch of salt. Um, I, 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 I agree. I agree with you. I guess Reshman's was a better soundbite, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can, uh, you can imagine. Um, but uh, what about biggest mistake you've made and lesson learned or like a mistake that you want to kind of call out? Well, I mean, everybody makes mistakes and, and uh, lesson learned from that and that hopefully you didn't repeat it. <sighs> I, I actually can't think of like a single, like catastrophic, um, yeah. event. Um, I can, I probably say probably the thing that most, catches up on me is not taking decisions quick enough um and i think that's probably something to always be mindful of as a founder like you've, you do have time pressure um especially if you're venture backed and like if you know something isn't right just take the decision uh if it's a two-way decision just take the decision <laughs> um so i think that's an important thing to constantly remind yourself of um yeah i can't really think of something that was like I made a lot of very difficult uh, decisions, but not really big, big mistakes. Uh, yep. I guess we're still alive, so um, <laughs> yeah, still alive. Nothing, nothing life-threatening. Yeah, Good. nothing life-threatening yet. Um, All right. Uh, what about favorite business uh, book on business uh, and why? What are you currently reading? Also, um, my, my probably the one that I remember the most uh, on startup journey was a book called Founder CEO. It's actually free on on Google Docs. Uh, I think okay. there's a copy on Amazon as well. Uh, founder CEO. I just think it's a really nice book. to. When I was talking about the stage of the company, communication hierarchy, yeah. a lot of those concepts are there in, in black and white. And you're like, oh, yeah, actually, I can relate to that. So I think if, if you haven't read it, it's a good read. Do you know who short. the author is? Um, I'm not sure. I can, okay. I can we will it. find it. We'll, we'll, we'll dig it out and we'll, we'll drop a link in on the, uh, uh, on, on the, on the post on this one. Um, um what, what about currently reading? Amp it up. Um, I got given this, um, by yep. someone who's really good. It's from the Snowflake CEO. Previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Slew. Uh, yep. just a re, re, well, a really interesting book, extremely interesting, uh, leadership style. Um, yep. to see what I mean by that, you'll probably have to read it. Um, yeah, it's that definitely good. You probably finish it in about four four hours. So it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. book as well. Yeah, no, very good, very good book. I think I read that one last year. I believe. Um, what about what do you do for mental health and wellness? Obviously, you mentioned you were just in uh, had a little short break in uh, the north of Finland. Um, but uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about your uh, mental health wellness routine. For me, it all comes down to routine. Like I'm super disciplined in. Uh, in everything, like, and I've got like every single fitness gadget tracker possible, even a smart yep. water bottle. Um, so like Aura, Whoop, um, like heart rate monitors, Apple, uh, ev- everything possible is being monitored and measured. That that aside, um, ultimately it comes down to like having a, a routine when it comes go to sleep. What time do you stop work? It's very important to stop work at some point in the day. Mm-hmm. I close my laptop and I don't do anything after that point. 
um, yep. and wind down. Waking up, for me, it's, it's early and consistent, um, but for other people, it might be different. Every day, wake up, um, do some exercise, uh, and really push myself, and then I feel like I'm ready to take on the day ahead. Um, and then the triangle, and I'm sure there's a, there's a more technical name for this, but sleep, nutrition, exercise, like all, all the other stuff is really kind of nice on top of that, making sure that you are sleeping well, um, you make so what, good decisions. So what, what time are you shutting down the laptop and stopping work and no longer checking emails? What time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? You, quite early, actually, about 6, 30, 7 o'clock. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, this is, I guess, more recent development. The first few years is probably working six and a half to seven days a week um, and then drop that down to six and then to five and a half. Uh, now I do five plus Sunday fun day, as I like to call it, which is essentially doing stuff I, I'm not allowed to do in the week because it's not part of my core role. Um, and that can be, you know, product stuff, um, things like getting, that I'm interested in, writing a thought piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's stuff that's still relevant to the company, but not not stuff that I would normally consider my job description mm-hmm. uh, and so if you're waking at like 6 30 what time do you go to bed it's then 10 10 o'clock yeah 10 o'clock okay yeah. so you get a good um, eight hours sleep and stopping work about 6 37 as well um yeah i love cooking too um so you know that's a good way of me rewinding down switching gears thinking about something yeah. else i'm like i mean my wife calls calls me a tornado chef because i just get in the kitchen like tasmanian devil and <laughs> It's just stuff you, get, you like cooking but not cleaning up after yourself um, um, or, yeah it's just know. i get so immersed in it i'm just like yeah. yeah i get a bit of this get a bit of that throw that in yeah. and then by the end of it i've made like two plates of delicious food but the kitchen is a is a mess yeah. well I, I find actually so i love cooking as well and it, it's i'm not it's not the only thing but it's definitely like if i jump on the peloton for instance right i still think about work on on a 30 minute or 45 minute you know bike ride or you're not going hard enough alex i've got a peloton i don't think about work Oh, okay. No, I, I can. I can. I switch. I, I I switch off and like you know into the. Uh, I'm not always like listening to the trainer, but like if I'm cooking, like I I, I that's one, yeah. one thing that I really focus on, and I'm not thinking about work, so it really really relaxes me. Um, so that's why yeah, I, it's, I like. It's very fair, but but seriously, you need to work harder on the peloton. Okay. If All right. if you I'll, if you set set yourself a goal like your PB and try and beat yeah. that, and the only thing yeah. you be focused on is. Trying to be, I did this this fitness competition called High Rocks yeah. a couple of weeks ago, um, and I, we booked it about six months ago. And six months ago, something went off in my brain, and I was like, "Oh, I have to, I have to prepare." Start doing a lot more cardio, running, and cycling. Yeah, and that really, I mean, I, I say I've got a slightly obsessive personality, whether it comes to work or fitness or nutrition, whatever. Um, but that really brought a lot of focus into the training, and that meant that when I was training, I was I was only thinking about like going faster and when you're at 90 percent max heart rate alex you can't think about anything apart from okay. how much pain you're in <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i think like i am doing like steady state card i used to do like right. my pb but i'm just doing like endurance stuff and just kind of right. like, taking okay. it zone three you know uh taking it easy just getting my, my cardio in so maybe maybe that's it um what about um also i wanted to ask because we, we mentioned a couple of times you sort of dropped in but you joined the sas.founder founder membership yeah uh, you were out at our mykonos retreat uh, uh earlier this year which was fun it's where i really got to know you um i guess what why, why did you join what's been the most sort of memorable valuable moment for you so far yeah i think as a founder it's really important to seek out uh, that community look 
you've probably heard it a hundred times before, but it can be very lonely. Not not because you're not surrounded by people that yeah. believe in what you believe in, but some of the decisions, some of the the way that you think, it's you really need other people that have been in that same place and also just to ask stupid questions like, hey, I'm thinking about this and what do you think? Um, so having other people around you that have been through similar challenges um, that can share their experience too. People that are ahead of you in stages um, to learn from them. Also people that are um, just behind you that have just started their journeys to share with them. That sharing actually gets you to kind of compound your thinking and art articulate in a way that's very useful for yourself and others um so i think community is the main reason always looking for groups like that probably the biggest thing i've got out of it was was actually the retreat i think you just can't beat physically being in you know for a few days the same place as people you just go into these conversations it's it's funny because um it happens in in meetings as well and you'll be there for like an hour and a half meeting and actually it's the last like 20, 30 minutes where you really get to the meat of the topic. And that happens on these retreats too. So I thought it was super valuable and looking forward to the next next one in Marrakesh. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's Likewise. good. It's good stuff. Well, we're great that, uh, grateful that you're part of the, the growing founder membership community. And so as we come to the end of the show, Jamie, um, like people want to kind of reach out to you. They've got any questions. They want to talk about channel sales or, you know, uh, 90% heart rate, uh, you know, on the Peloton or whatever, whatever it is, where can they find you? Where, where, like what, what platform are you kind of mostly, uh, uh, on and, uh, also if they're interested about CyberSmart as well. Uh, yeah, they can, they can drop me a message on LinkedIn, Jamie Akhtar and drop me an email, Jamie at cybersmart.co.uk. Um, uh, those, yeah, I mean, they can probably connect with me on Peloton if you want to, you know, See how we're getting on. I'm going to spy on you on Peloton. uh, So that's something. If I remember, I remember to do that as as well. So, uh, um, but I'm I'm probably not uh, at the level that you're at um, uh, as well. But Jamie, look, it's been a really great conversation. We've we've covered like uh, I think you know everything, um, uh, and uh, so really appreciate you coming on, uh, sharing. Um, looking forward to uh, well, hopefully seeing you before the uh, Marrakesh retreat. Um, but uh, thank you so much, Jamie Akhtar, uh, CEO and founder of CyberSmart, for being a great guest on the Sasser Revolution show today. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SAS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world. Want exclusive SAS content and actionable insights to grow your SAS? Join our community of over 36,000 SAS founders at sasdoc.com.